Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience revelatory teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. It is Tuesday night here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that means it's Discipling Apostolic Christian Night. And we've been on a journey, and we're going to be on a journey. We've talked a lot about apostolic Christianity. We've kind of made a whole lot of, you know, um, comments about a ton of revelations. We have my trusty book. I don't know why they always clean off my desk. Anyway, we have a trusty book called ABCs of Apostleship 2. We have a manual, and it's over here. I'm going to be totally uncool. Props. Prop people. Win prop people when you need them. No hot prop people when you need them. Hallelujah. Okay. So I could talk about the book. Hey, ABCs of Apostleship 2. Book 2, Discipling Apostolic Christians. A year ago, we started this journey. Can you believe it has been a year? A year ago, we started a journey about apostolic Christians. And when we started that journey, of course, we had a whole bunch of people jump in and chime in and say, ah, uh, that's not new, etc." So I had to go through the process of saying, we, are, we never said it was new. We said it was true. And so I've been on a new true journey. It's not new, but it's true. And we're going to talk about that as we get into the next phase of it, which is organic Christianity. Now, of course, that's not new. But, folks, how many of you all got a Bible? If you have a Bible, okay, I got some hands raised in here. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, you know, interaction in the studio here. If you have a Bible and you happen to fall upon Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you're going to see something that's very interesting. And it says, there is nothing new under the sun. So, you know, Christians need to get off the new skateboard or the old skateboard because there is nothing new under the sun. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to read about that a little later on. So why am I telling you this? I understand that God has been trying to do this thing for a lot of years, a lot of years. And so we're going to jump into it, but I do want to say hi, kids, because I forgot my kids a couple times last week, and I probably actually was gone, you know. So, hey, that's my skateboard. And so I forgot my kids. Hi, kids. And I want to welcome you all. If you're a new uh, viewer tonight, welcome. You're going to love it. We've been on a journey, so that means you'll have to go through all of those that I've been teaching for a year. If you're new to Periscope, they should be there. If you're new to Facebook, they should be there. And if you're new to me, DrPaulaAsides.com has everything else you need. So we're going to talk about that. And I don't know what our broadcast offering is tonight, but maybe do we have one or do we just want to keep going with the one we have? It's the same. It's the same one because we are technically still in February. Yeah, for a few more hours. Last day. Yeah. I know. Can you believe it? So I wanted to say that. We haven't done roll call for a while. Do we have anybody there that's signed on? Because, see, you all just want me to get in the word, so I'm going to do that. Because you <laughs> like, come on, because y'all don't, you don't like the fact that I get off in 30 minutes. <laughs> so one thing we can certainly talk about, too, is drpaulaprice.tv, which is your organic Christianity network. Yay! Hallelujah! Subscription-based. Subscription-based. 1999 a month, people are subscribing every day. Mm. 
and commenting and posting their comments. Oh, good. I love the, the comments. power of the word, um, especially some of the older Let's Just Talk, the Teen Talk. I know I saw a comment pop up on there and some of your other ones about just, wow, this revelation. So now people can get this one place, old things. Well, new, that went? new things, travel things, and every month new things will be going up. Excellent. Going live. Um, on the site this week, my goal is to get us some Sunday sermons. Oh, yeah. You know, we've been doing it on the Sunday sermons, mm-hmm. you know. Get that category. That mm-hmm. whole category up and running. Oh, did you hear that, folks? Sunday sermon category on drpaulaprice.tv? Yes. Or is it drpaulaprice.tv? Dot TV. Dot TV. I want to remember the dot. So that little, yeah, don't forget that. Cause if they accidentally put in drpaulaprice.tv because we need to decide which one we're going to do officially. Uh-huh. It'll still get in there because Good. guess what? We want that domain too. I love it. <laughs> and so it'll redirect. Everything will redirect to the right side. I'm excited. You know, folks, I've been saying for a while, I've been out here a long time. And, and while I was in my cage and in my trial a couple times in hospice, a few times in rehab, while I was in all of those preparatory stop points, stopovers, I never stopped working. And I never stop working because I am committed to giving God something to work with while I'm on the planet and leaving him something that he can continue to work with when I'm gone. And many times we don't think about that. We, we think about leaving our name and our legacy and all of that. To, to, to me, legacy means what do I leave behind that God can continue to work with? Does he just tolerate what I do and as soon as I'm gone, he wipes it out? And so I make a big deal about making sure God can work with what I leave behind. Why is that important? Because I don't know the future, but he does. Many of you have projects that the Lord told you to do, and you haven't done them because they didn't fit the era, they didn't fit the trend, they, they, it looked like it was bygone, it looked like it was redundant, or whatever you want to, whatever excuse the enemy used to keep you from finishing it. But the Holy Ghost knows the future. God knows that there is a time and a season for every purpose and every work under the sun. Everything has a season, and seasons are cyclical, which means they pass and come back and pass and come back because it doesn't make a difference how saturated this generation may be with a thought, a theology, or a doctrine. Their children and their grandchildren still have to hear it for the first time. News doesn't travel through the genes. Prophecy does. And so you need to recognize that your people, your future generations have to hear. Part of why this generation is lost, why we have so many lost generations, is because so many ministers and so many founders considered their work to be for that era, and they, they, it's time-locked. They made it time-locked, and so it, it, God couldn't do anything with it when it went off. When the next generation came, there wasn't any answers, or there just was too much rigidity, or whatever you want to call it. And so... I am very sensitive to God having something in my world, in my mind, quite a bit to work with when I am gone. He said to me, so what am I going to do with what you leave behind? He always asked me that question. So I'll ask you the same question. Are you all listening? Are you, are you listening? What is, what is God going to do with what you leave behind? We have taught you so much about your works following you to heaven. We have not prepared you to give God something useful to get somebody else to heaven behind you. We've not made a big deal about your lead behind. I do think that as we go forward in God and as things become clearer and, and, and we become more, more pro- pronounced and even prolific, we're going to have to think about our lead behind. You know, people have left a lot of messages behind for the Holy Ghost. Because we act like when we leave the planet, the Holy Ghost is gone. No, your two angels take you out, and then they come back and continue working. They don't get the privilege of saying, I'm off. They don't get off until it's all done. And so you have got to start thinking about what God needs you to leave on the planet. And I am not just talking about theology. I am not just talking about doctrine. There are godly businesses and godly institutions. There are godly enterprises that the Lord wants you to build and so that he can make a home for his people, a haven for those who come out of the world to him. That was the largest task of facing the apostles of the early church creating an economy for all of those people who were leaving their families, leaving their other gods, even leaving their faith and religion for Jesus Christ. 
That is why when they started up, they immediately got through in economy. You know, he threw in big sums of money because that, back then there wasn't the, well, you know, your faith is your faith and my faith is mine. No, there was punishment and hostility every time somebody turned to Jesus Christ. And so God had to meet their needs, which was, you know, we talk about that Acts 7 thing about people having, um, you know, the deacons and, and, and the passing out the food and all of that. Those weren't welfare cases. Those were convert issues, convert consequences. And so those convert consequences, God had to take care of. So when you think about your business and why you want it to succeed, because we want so many things to succeed for our own legacy and our idea of a legacy, but Jesus Christ has a legacy. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have a legacy. Every generation they have promised them, everyone. And that legacy comes from what the people before that generation left behind. I don't think anybody gave the, a better example of a legacy, uh, uh, to me, a, a, a legacy being passed on than David. David did a monumental job. Well, he was just an amazing organizer all the way around. But he did a monumental job to make sure that the nation didn't go bankrupt, broke, or, or uh, destitute, or even deteriorate because he was leaving. He Throughout all of his time, some of us, you want to wait till you're 50 years old talking about I'm going to leave a legacy. You don't blew all your money for the last, you know, 35 years. Now you want to try to get something going on. But because you didn't realize that you have to give God a lead behind. And so David was so good at that that he made sure that everything was set and that there was no missing of the beat from his leadership or his departure, and his son's taking over, right on down to putting the right son in power. Some of you all are planning on putting the wrong person in power. Some of you all are putting a son in when it should be a daughter, but you don't want to have to uh, deal with the fact that folks are going to talk about you. But don't tell them. Just put it in your will and go on and die. They can't find you after that. So that's it. All right? Don't even tell them. But some of you all, those, a lot of those works died because you left it in sons who were not the ones chosen, and then you, and you should have left it with a daughter. Somebody here, you have a, a granddaughter. You're about to pass over your granddaughter, and I promise you, if you do, your work will die in less than 10 years when you're finished. Some of you all, you have a, I mean, this child has been anointed since she was three years old, and you've had words and visions about her. Put the right person in your succession plan. And stop, put, stop building your plans theologically and stop building them traditionally or culturally and begin to build them for, for, for perpetuity so that things continue on. I love David. I read it all the time. David had the money. He had the plan. He had architectural plans. He had a blueprint. He had the resources. He had a whole, a whole reserve that he just stockpiled to make sure that his labor was not in vain in the Lord. Are you all listening to me? Is this landing on someone? Because I need you to hear that somebody is about to make some serious succession mistakes. And you, you'll close your eyes, but I'm telling you, it will be chaos when you're gone. And so make sure, if you're in that, Make sure that you're leaving a succession that God can work with. Because if you put the wrong one in power, your God will have to work with what you leave behind, but he'll also have to judge it. He'll, he'll have to do it. God, David knew that God told him Solomon was his replacement, the least likely one. Solomon was the least likely one. He was the child. Listen, God was still mad at Bathsheba, when we got to Matthew, he didn't even name him. Whenever God is mad at something, he doesn't name him. He doesn't give him a name because he's not going to call him again. So he's like, I'm, he's not going to call them. He's not going to call on them. So he doesn't leave a name. He doesn't want us using that name, you know? And so he was so angry with Bathsheba for what she uh, provoked David to do, which put such a blight on his reign and, such a, and inseminated such chaos and turbulence in his family tree, the same family tree that the Christ was coming out of. When we get to Matthew, you and we mention her, because you know, obviously David had to have, you know, you know, Solomon had to have a mother. And God wanted us to know that Solomon was in the line. 
that he never called Bathsheba's name. He said, of her who had been the wife of Uriah. So a lot of those wives you're taking, God could kill them. That's about that. If it caused chaos, if life was lost, children were suffered, etc., God doesn't bless those marriages. He just tolerates them. God is so good at tolerating stuff that you don't recognize he's just putting up with something he doesn't like. So when, but however way this ends up, this woman will know he wiped her name out from under heaven. What did she do? Become his wife? No, she was a seductress. And she used sex and sexuality and her cute little tight top figure to, to take an inheritance from someone else. So whoever you are, sir, I want you to understand, God is always in the big picture, but don't think that he doesn't have little judgment. It's really important. So anyway, you're going into succession, and whoever you are, sit down and make sure you listen to who God chooses. Because I'm telling you, David had two sons who knew they were shooing. One son was so sure, he had a whole coronation and operation at the other side of town. Because his father was old. He's counting down his father's death. Instead of being there praying for him, helping his father cross over, uh-uh, he's out there setting up. I'm taking over immediately right then and there. And you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And you know why it didn't matter? Because God is serious. When God says that someone is going to take over, if you have the wrong person, God will do a lot of things to make sure his word does not fall to the ground of fulfilled. And we are going to meet that side of God as we go forward in the years to come. Having said that, um, you know, we started out on our journey of apostolic Christianity, you know, an apostleship. I don't often use the term apostolic because that's not what God gave me. He gave me apostleship. So what I talk about is new era apostleship restitution, new era apostleship trademarked it because I wanted to make sure that it was handled properly. And so we, we have New Era Apostleship Restitution, where we are discipling apostolic Christians. For those of you who are new to me, the premise of this entire uh, approach is that the apostles did a great job getting themselves ready, putting the work out there, doing all of those kinds of things, and the people in the pew never knew what an apostle was. We, 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 you could take a straw poll even tomorrow. Just ask five people, you know, Christians, go Christians, because you know what? Sometimes a lot of the non-Christians know because they went to Catholic school. But you go to Christians and ask them, well, what's an apostle? Most of them can't tell you. Most of them, if you try to say apostolic and apostleship, some of them get so tongue-tied they can't get the word out because it's that unfamiliar to our common language. So uh, we started this based on the fact that God said that he starts, we needed to disciple apostolic Christians to convert them from evangelicalism to apostleship, those who were ordained to convert them from evangelicalism to apostleship so that they can comprehend and back their, his apostles' work. And so that's what I've been doing for a year. That's what this book is all about. If you want to know how to do it, hey, there it is. The next edition of this will have a whole section on our organic Christianity. So now let's talk about that. It is not new. I know it's not new. I'm not, you know, I told you all revelation has to be validated by research because you'll walk around there thinking that you created a new star, and you didn't, that you don't have a new star to heaven, and we're just hiding behind all the other stars. So I know that it's not new. I understand about Brother Stark. I understand about the, you know, Frank Waller and all of those other people, but here's what I am talking about. I'm talking about scripturally organic Christianity, culturally unmodified. When I studied this, I thought what a noble idea that got lost in present theology. What a wonderful, wonderful piece of revelation that was not fleshed out to God's end. I'm just speaking to some of you. And so you have to flesh out an idea. So tonight I want to do some comparison for two reasons. One, I want you to know I'm well aware that we are doing something that isn't new, but yet it is. We're innovating something that was undone, shipwrecked, whatever. There are a lot of doctrines out there that are like premature babies who were never even given neonatal care. A lot of doctrines out there that God had, a lot of revelations that never went through. So this one, the screen says comparisons. Hallelujah. 
scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. We are, that, if you want to say, what is Dr. Price doing? Scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. I do my homework. I don't bring out something to tell you, oh, wow, this is the, the newest thing since whatever. Not so. Let's look at what that means. Let's look at exactly what that means. Hallelujah. So I have this wonderful graphic, and if you look at this graphic, it is a, a shelf of books that I just put titles on for us to appreciate all that must go into us being organic, strictly organic, etc. And it goes into that to let you know which, the title is, Which Organic is Scripturally Organic? We are scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. Say that with me. Scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. Let's say it again. Scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. Let's say it one more time. That's we always got to throw in the Holy Ghost. Scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. Now, that should begin to resonate in you in some sort of way. So I want us to go through, here's the question. So in my research, we found out, or, you know, another word or probably the more accepted word for it. Some of you already know, so I'm going to kind of dig into this, be all right with that. The simple church versus apostolic Christianity. First of all, it, by definition, by definition, you cannot be organic and not be apostolic. That's impossible. You can be the simple church, which is evangelical, but you cannot be organic and not be apostolic because everything pertaining to the church began with apostles. That's the essence of this book, that apostolic Christians were the first Christians to ever hit the planet. This, the word that, that got them saved, the word that they were born again on, 100% organic. That it came from those apostles who had walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years, who had sat in classes with him, not just filling in time. I know so many of you all like that, you know, and I got to spend time with my family. Those guys didn't. <laughs> they stayed with Jesus all the time. They did not. Well, you know, I can't, I said, you know, I can't lose my family on the altar of ministry. Well, you're going to lose them on the altar of the world. It's all right. Some altar going to take them because everybody belongs on some altar somewhere. That's just the way it goes. These are the altar of light and life, the altar of darkness and death. So <clears throat> those men stayed with Jesus Christ. They did not have a prior faith. They did not have a prior religion other than Judaism, and that Jesus Christ was not coming to explode but to conclude or, and fulfill, not just close out but to fulfill it. You know? And so what they taught was the doctrine of Christ the doctrine of God that they had lived on that had been passed on down the line with the master cipher and filter called Jesus Christ. The author became the cipher for decoding the things that didn't know about, think about Nicodemus and you must be born again, and to filter it. You have heard it was said, but I said. Oh, how, where's my cloth? That was good. Wasn't that good? I had to get that. Because the Holy Ghost is in the planet to be the cipher and the filter, the authenticator of what is God and the exposer of what is not. So here we go. They, so they, everything that, that got them saved, everything that brought them into the, to the body of God, the family of God and the Godhead, was organic. And it was organic because Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you... Get put out of me, hey, guess what? I'm going to continue giving life. You're just going to be without it. And so organically, apostolic Christianity, born, grown, fed, bred by apostles. Part of why the issue with the, this last organic thrust, which was, again, a very noble idea, is that you have to shift the whole thing. You can't just shift the pieces you like. You can't try to say, we're going to go and do this without leadership. We're just going to go do it our way without structure. We're just going to do it this way or that way in our little homes and our little huts and our back rooms and in the bush and on the mountaintops and whatever. You know, this whole go back theology is not God. You understand that going back for you may mean one thing, but God's never going back again. God went back in time once in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, somebody. Oh, that's incredible. Huh. Okay. And the, 
Christ did not come and begin his existence in an archaic dark era. He came back in time. He said, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the firstborn of creation, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of, of, of the church. He goes on to say, the firstborn of Judaism. He said, I am. And he, he went back in time once. This whole movement, not us. Just, just remember, and I'm going to show it to you, and we're going to, in unison, we're going to all start saying, not us. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about tearing down what this man has been building for 2,000-plus years, which is why he trusts me with it. I am not talking about erasing and eliminating what he has gained his reputation on and credibility on, what he has nurtured his family on and his church on for all of this time. That is not what I'm talking about. A real apostle is never going to tell you about tearing down what God has done. And if they do, they better know that they're in an eschatological moment and we're about the sun, about to fall out the sky, the stars are getting ready to drop down on us, and the Lord is about to part the heavens. Hmm. Was that good? That was just good. I, was just, I, had, to, I had to say a lot of that myself. Hallelujah. Are you saying I'm with me? I had to say a lot of that myself. Let's look at this. So what is... Which organic Christianity is truly organic? That is the question that I'm going to answer. Do you like my little guy there? You got a little, a little pesticide bottle. You see my little pesticide like Did you like that, Prophet? The holiness inhibitor barriers. <laughs> Say again, honey. The holiness inhibitor barriers. <laughs> Christian Christianity, body of Christ, cultural contaminants. <laughs> wow. Because... It is an effort. You know, spray is very interesting because spray is as near to spirit as you're going to get. Spray is as near to spirit as you can get without being air, which is why it's airborne. And so there are some airborne things that are contaminating the body of Christ. They're dropping in people's dreams and dropping in their minds and it's dropping through their prayers and on and on and go. And if you look at it, we've got some some fruit back there. We got the Bible with a little bit of an injection, a little, little cultural injection in the scripture. We got cultural inject, injection in the orange. I, I separated the orange from the apple because the orange is considered to be bittersweet. Sweet at first and yet a little strange tart, like a little strange scent with it. And then we have the Holy Bible with the Granny Smith apple. Granny meaning old. It's there. It's established. Hallelujah. So hip, lean in. And listen, tell everybody she's getting ready to break the seal on this scripturally organic, culturally unmodified Christianity that apostles are known for. We, this is true apostleship. It's always going to be organic. That's true apostleship. Now, we've got some other stuff to try to tell you you can't change it. The whole essence of apostleship is change. Apostles are change agents. No sovereign raises up an apostle to, to keep things the same. Now, even if it's restorative, it's still restoring. To restore means that you've got to change it. So in order to be a bona fide apostle of anybody, a change mandate has got to be on your mantle. You've got to have one there. And you've got to know what you're changing from to. You know, we had eight years of a president that got in the office by just saying change. Nobody ever asked him what he was changing. And it took, at the end of eight years, we all like, boy, we shouldn't have. Who, boy, shouldn't we have asked? And nobody did. And, 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 and the, the people that, that put him in that position exploited the, your habits for not asking questions. That was, that it, it was so guaranteed that no one would ask him to articulate what he was changing. And that everybody would just assume from whatever they saw and however way they felt, what they agreed with or disagreed with, that he never had to articulate it. He just implemented. He implemented a, a, a mystical change and a mystical agenda that you had. It didn't work till he got in this position. So look at your screen now. You can see there's one side is contrast. The other side is contrast plus other areas of, of the word comparison. Scripturally organic Christianity, a comparative contrast. Let's look at some of the things that, now pay attention because this is going to, you don't want to miss it. All right, so ABCs of apostleship, let's look at that. Look at what, what, what's popping up, comparison. And so I look at the checkerboard, black and white. 
as much as people tell you we have gray area, uh, uh, gray area is what's emerging in development. All right, and until that happens, neither one, neither black nor white is strong. Either, one is overcoming the other. That's just what it means. If you look at your screen, it says um, organic Christianity versus scripturally organic Christianity. That is what this is all about. Comparisons, organic Christianity or scripturally organic Christianity. Which one are we talking about? See, because, you know, there are a lot of organics. The, the word organic is not only has it become a very popular buzzword, which we need, but there are a lot of ways of approaching it, you know, from organic ink to organic paper to organic paint, whatever, you know, no fumes, no whatever. But the, the core essence of the word is the same, scripturally organic. You cannot, I don't care what anybody tells you, I'm telling you, the church was not born again out of doctrines of men, was not born again out of theology. It was not born again out of traditions. It wasn't born again out of history. The church was born out of a destiny that God had been working since he said, let there be light. Because God has a continuum. And many of you have my book, and tomorrow night you'll hear Chief Prophet Tyler do her Wednesday Warrior class on Before the Garden, God's Eternal Continuum. God has a continuum, and he will make no change that, breach, that breaches that continuum. He will tolerate a change. He will overlook it. He will even instigate it if he wants to take something out or he wants to make something known. But he himself will not design a change that is not in his continuum for his church because his church was eternal before it was earthly. His church was in heaven. We talked about this. Christianity, the only faith, the only faith that came from heaven. Jesus Christ said that organic Christianity had a heavenly origin. How do you know that, Dr. Frank? How can you prove it? Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I came down from heaven to do the will of my Father, to give my life for He said, I came down. Organic Christianity came down in the form of a great prophet that was a prototype or the, the fulfillment of Moses, who was the possessor of the house, meaning that Moses was an apostolic prophet. Jesus comes down as a great apostle who was like Moses. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like unto myself. And yet when he dies, it said, but no other person ever, ever was similar to Moses. Elijah had an Elisha. Moses had a nothing. And it took, all, it took all of those ages for Jesus Christ to appear in the flesh, to be recognized as that prophet. When you read the Gospels and they talk about that prophet, that prophet is actually Jesus Christ. It is that prophet which Moses spoke of. The, the apostles who were prophets before he came, those prophets that followed John the Baptist knew the Christ because they were well-versed in that prophet who was to come, who was going to be like Moses, who was going to work all of these wonders and work all of these signs, who was going to literally change the world and change how life is lived. True apostleship changes how life is lived. They don't just change life. They change how it lives. It's lived going forward, which is why it's important for you to know exactly what you're leaving behind because your leave behind are going to make a statement on life. They're going to be an infection in life. They're going to be a protection for life. You have to decide what that means. So Jesus says Christianity, scripturally organic Christianity, what I'm talking about came from heaven. Now, something else may come from somebody's idea. I don't know. Don't have a word on that. But I'm talking about that because Jesus came as the Word. And in, the in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So you need to understand that I don't care how many times people keep telling you 
the Bible is outdated. We were talking before the show how the Bibles we read in when I, we, I got saved in 82, 30 years ago, are rewritten for cultural Christianity. They're written for cultural theology. They're rewritten. That's why half of you all, we stand up there preaching. You know what we said? We're preaching from a 30-year-old Bible, and you want to tell us our Bible is old. And I want to say your Bible is mold, moldy bread. And you've been eating moldy bread. It's all green, all contaminated, moldy bread. And so you got a lot of moldy Bibles out there. Why do I call it moldy? You think I'm being funny. I'm not. Because those Bibles are rewritten by the cultures of this world, and the culture of this world is under demons, and their religions are old. Their religions are old. They're the very things that God took out when he put his son on the planet. He wiped out all of those things. He wiped out sexually driven religions. He wiped out religions that relied on um, sorcery and pharmacia, religions that relied on witchcraft. They relied on homosexuality. They relied on promiscuity. They relied on child sacrifice. They relied on on crime. They relied on self-emulation. All of that God wrote, wrote out. And he had a love. They, were, they had a love doctrine back then. You think they did it? Of course they did. Love has been, love made the planet. So they had a love doctrine back then, but it wasn't love for, it wasn't love for anybody but themselves. It was the self-love and the selfish love, which is why Paul and all of those apostles spent so much time dis- distinguishing God's love and God's kind of love from the love that is natural to human beings. And when next time somebody tells you God is love, you're going to say, who you love? Okay, so who did you forgive today? Go over, who did you buy food for? Who did you, whose bills did you pay? Who's, who did you give your coat to? Who did you give your car to? Because God's love is not an emotional sick feeling. It is an active motivator of kindness, generosity, and good deeds. And doing it, expecting nothing in return. If you want something in return, then you need a store. So God himself, the, Jesus Christ came as the word of God. God put his word in a person. A person. What person? The very person who created everything. Jesus knew how to say the word. He understood it because he's the author. He knew how to speak the right word. That's why he can mix the right words together and tell those devils, you got to go. And, and, and tell dirt, you have to become a healing poultice. And tell spit, you better make a blind man see because he's the word. And yet you want it all. We want to take a buzzword called organic Christianity and make it an experience. Watch what I'm saying. Follow me. A comparison of institutional organics versus scriptural organics. The organic Christianity that I've studied was all about coming against the institution of the church, the established church, the order, the leadership, the theology, and all of that. That's what it's about. And I'm telling you, whenever something is about taking out what God has done, you need to suspect it. Let's go to the next one. So let's look at some backstory comparisons. You're going to like these. Do you see I filled in the black? I filled in the black. Did anybody notice that? So now what are we going to put in the white spots? Let's look at some backstory comparisons. What are the variables? The critical emphasis is Jesus as sovereign or savior. Under an evangelical paradigm, got nothing against it, write it in your book, Dr. Price is not disparaging, because see, you all be saying that stuff, and that's not true. But under an evangelical paradigm, it's about Jesus the Savior, which is why most evangelicals, many, especially the, the ones that are you know, the charismatic, prophetic, whatever ones, have an issue with God's sovereignty. They don't believe God's sovereignty kicks in until the church gets in heaven. Until then, it's let thy will be done, meaning me. Let my, my take the place of thy. And so this whole idea of it's about how we want to do church, how we feel, how we like. There was not one, one thing that I read, and I have to say that, you know, loosely, but there was nothing I read that, put, that, that dealt with why this man decided that he needed a church. Why did he come to make a body on earth? He could have made a body in heaven, but he made one on earth. Why did he do that? Why did he not wipe Adam out in the garden when he could have saved himself? 
a lot of trouble. Why didn't he just crush the serpent like a bug in the garden? I mean, he could have saved himself. A lot of trouble. Why didn't he just wipe out those angels before they, they, they copulated with the daughters of men and produced demonic kids? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he, he just wipe us out with the flood and just forget it and tell Noah, I'll just bring you to heaven like a brought Enoch? He had an option. God had a lot of options. You do realize that. He didn't do that. Why didn't he just allow Abraham to just go on and have Isaac at the beginning instead of waiting almost 25 years or so for him to have this kid? Why did he call Abraham out of Babylon when he, well, when he could have just used a Jew? Oh, that's a good mystical question. I'd like to see how many of you get that one. Okay, so why didn't he do that? And then come on down the line, why did he make Israel go into Egypt and have to become captives and slaves? What was that all about? He, they, they went in as, as friends. They went in as, as immigrants, welcome immigrants, and come out as slaves. And so why did he do that? And then why, when he got in the wilderness and Sinai, why did he think it was important to give them Ten Commandments? Why didn't he just ratchet them all to heaven and save himself some grief? Because he could do that. I mean, he came to earth with tens of thousands of instructions, so he must have enough vessels to get them all back home. So why didn't he do that? Okay, and then why did he let all those people die in the wilderness before they sinned when he knew they were going to tell on him? And then why did he decide that the manna was the best diet for these people to eat? What was that all about? He could have just saved himself to grief and said, you know what? I'm just going to every kid you have. I'm going to snatch it out of the womb, take it to heaven, save myself some time. All right? Why did he let them blow up Caleb Barnea or even have to suffocate his Barnea when Jericho was his goal? Why did he do that? And why didn't he just crash it himself and just say, people go in? Why is it that when they got into Jericho, they still had to fight for all of their land and still had to make it happen? Tell me, people, because we've got so many answers. Why did he do that? And then why did he make his people wander in the wilderness? And why, since he's God, did he make them walk around on the animal-made tabernacle when he could have dropped down a piece of heaven of the ark that he already had sitting up there on his altar? Why did he do that? We can go on down the line and say, why did he put them through the grief of Saul? Why did he, and then he just stop Eli's boys before they destroyed the land? Why did he let the Philistines take his ark? Why? I can go on. We can go all the way down the line because there's a lot of why's that if we answered them, we would know our God. Answer to every one of those speaks to the church born on earth. Why would he send the church to earth when he already had it in heaven safe and sound? Why did he think his son had to come to earth? Why couldn't Jesus just come on down there and lay in the grave? He's God. He had power over life and death. Why? Why did he have to take on a body? Why did he have to take on flesh? Because if he hadn't, he couldn't have been killed. Sometimes it's not as theologically convoluted as we like to say. So as we go on, Jesus, sovereign or savior, that's an important factor in your organics because the world is organically under a sovereign. The church is born and brought into existence by a savior. But Jesus did not go back home to just be a savior. He also went back home to re-enter the glory which he had before the world was. Not before I took on flesh, not before I came to earth, before the world was. Before the world was? Huh? So you mean before everything that ever was, Jesus Christ was a sovereign, he was king, what on earth, oh, well, it wasn't on earth, what in heaven could he possibly have been king over? We need to know that. We need to understand that. So this is not about your personal church experience. This is not about whether you like your seat or the song. This is not about whether you have an illusionist with smoke and mirrors and, and, and puff and stuff. This, this church, the, the organic church, is about thy will being done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And you cannot do heaven's will on earth in a church that's culturally modified. You cannot do heaven on earth in a church that adapts to the whims of its congregants. You cannot do heaven on earth in a church that is bound by people of the present generation. That cannot happen. I like it. They always say, we're going to go back to having church in your home. Let's, let's go back. You know, Prophet Ashley, let's go back. You want to go back? Okay, let's go back. We're going back. Let's see. Go back. We're talking A.D. Hold on, let me go back. Okay, go back. Okay. All right, you okay. Let's, 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 okay. I'm not finished this. We're back at AD2. And then, which, you know, the world is dark. And there is no energy. And they're living by candlelight. And moving by wooden wheels. Maybe metal wheels, because by that time we had some metal energy going on. Okay? So we want to go back. That's the era that we get a Jesus Christ in. And then he dies. After he does his 33-plus years, he, they, he dies, he goes back home. And so we're still in under, you know, under first century. First century A.D. We want to go back to church to show you how hypocritical we really are. We go to church, and we're all wearing these little ugly, heavy robes, hot or cold. We got toilets outside, little holes in the ground. We've got candles because we don't have, today we got flashlights and phone lights. Back then, they had candles that melted and sometimes burnt your fingers. We, when you were hot, you had just the air that came if there came. Some, had, none of the windows had panes. They were just open with bars or wooden shutters. We really want to go back. Yeah. Let's keep on going back. And so we did not have a microwave. There was no McDonald's. And there certainly wasn't any hospital. When the boy fell out the window, we didn't call an EMT because they didn't have an EMT. They needed a pause. They had a pause because they didn't have an EMT. We're still going back, folks. And so they're out in the wilderness, and they have to worry about being ambushed. Then they're on horses that are sinking, etc. camels and all sorts of beasts and livestock. We hop in our cool car to go to church. They're walking miles and miles, and we want to say A.D., but there are places on this planet that is still the case. So if you want to find out how A.D., go to church in those places. And let's not tear up what this man has done. You can get on, you can get on a plane right now, go someplace where they got no lights, no electricity, no sound, and not a lot of, but we got a good little bit. No cell phones. You can wrestle with the animals, wrestle with the wild beasts. I mean, Jesus go on a fast. He got to fight wild beasts. You, you got to fight your appetite in the television. No, we don't want to go back. We want to have our way, and it's a tantrum. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about why this man came back. Jesus came back in time from a world that Paul visited and said, oh, my God, I can't even tell you what I saw. It wasn't a matter of God just put gagged him. I'm sure there was an element of gag, but there was also the element of, I don't know, what do you say? How, do, how can I tell you? I went there and they got microwaves. Wow. What would that have meant? I went there. And, oh, my goodness, they have cell phones. What? Online. They've got this, face crash, spaceship. they got flying this. they got lights that you just turn off. They got... He couldn't come back and tell that because there were no words for it. He said it was words that could not be uttered. There was no articulation for him seeing a world totally energized, totally full of light. Oh, help me, somebody. Are you all hearing me? Are you following me, people? We have to think differently if we're going to do better. And going, stepping backwards has never helped anybody. Going back in your family, going back in your memories, going back in your marriages, going back in your childhood has never been fruitful for any present and not very useful for your future. So, number one, close this. Another variable. Evangelism instead of apostleship. There is no epistle written by an evangelist. I don't care how much they tell you they're supposed to be in control. If there 
believe that God had. He had all the way up to the to the medieval time, the, the Gutenberg press or something, to come up with it, but he didn't. He didn't include it in his book. Why didn't he? Because it wasn't organic, it wasn't protonic, it wasn't atomic enough for God. Evangelism is about winning souls and saving the world. How many of you all can say world changes, world savers, a million souls by so-and-so? Everybody got that? I had hardly ever until I met the episodic sphere and then only marginally found anything about let's give the king his due. Even now, most of them are about kingdom, not the kingship of Jesus Christ. Because who wants to come under the rule of a king? Most of you, I mean, you know, we've been programmed not to even trust the king. The hideout, community, institutional church, Jesus' body, Jesus Christ's body, Jesus Christ's genes, eternal kingdom, nationality, saints saved, apostleship, saints purged. These are the variables for organic Christianity that I'm talking about. I don't know about anybody else. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. What does that mean? Hmm. We'll go on. Here you go. Look at this. Scripturally organic uh, 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 Christianity, culturally unmodified, more than the gospel, sovereign and savior. Okay? Ecclesia and kingdom, nation of Christ. It includes Ephesians 4.11, 1 Corinthians 12.28, Ephesians 2.20, and, of course, above apostles' doctrines and commandments. We ought to live by the apostles' doctrines and commandments because the apostles' doctrine, in God's mind, the way Jesus passed it on, is the full comprehensive of what God said from in the beginning God to the spirit and the bride they come. All apostolic, all apostles. It is amazing to me how many of these young apostles don't know scripture, can't quote anything but their favorite pet scriptures, and cannot relate them apostolically, only know them evangelically. So I'm going to look, let's take a quick look. I've got about seven minutes. I don't know if I'm going to get through it all, probably not. But let's look at the, uh, the, the simple church. The simple church movement, I've gotten this offline from, uh, um, uh, let's see, I think it was MacArthur's uh, site. The simple church movement is basically a move to make the modern-day church experience, a highlight, if you're taking notes, write this down, church experience as close to that of the early churches of the New Testament as possible. First of all, God did not have a New Testament. God, he really did not have it. He said, this is the Testament, my Testament in my blood. But as far as we call New Testament, his word was not that. That's not what we have. We have, we have New Testament churches as distinguished from what? There's no Old Testament church. There is Old Testament nation, the nation of Israel. There is Old Testament faith, Judaism, even Old Covenant. But anyway, here's the thing. So the first goal is church experience to be like what is perceived to be what the early churches did. Uh-huh. That's very interesting. Okay, not us. The simple church movement. Advocates believe that they that we ought to be led by the Spirit in all that we do. Return to the basics is needed because so many structures and traditions have polluted the church experience. I want to keep on saying that because see, Jesus didn't come for us to have an experience. Truly, when He came, His experience wasn't pleasant. But I'll say again, not us. A simple church may meet anywhere with or without trained leaders, formal liturgy, programs, or structures. A simple church is usually a small group of no more than 20 to 25 persons, and they limit it, so there's no group. Not us. The term simple church is often used interchangeably with other terms like organic church, essential church, primitive church, relational church, and micro church. Not us. all have in common rejection of larger churches organized along denominational lines, formal leadership, church buildings, and formal worship services. In other words, it's a free-for-all. We all come and bring in our little partner, go to somebody's house, sit in there, open up the Bible, with our little play clothes on, and just letting everybody say what they say, spill from their minds, feel what they feel, with no changes, no rules, and no impressions on anybody. We don't want to put any pressure on anybody. Are you kidding? The Holy Ghost is a handful, and he's a pressure. But I'll say to you again, not us. 
emphasis is in, in simple churches on building relationships within the small group and missionary outreach. Not us. We are ambassadorial, not just missionary. We are commissioned, and that's very different. And so let me say again, not us. Perhaps the primary problem with the simple church movement and the house church movement in general is that they see the book of Acts as a model for the church, which it was never intended to be, because Jesus Christ birthed a nation, not just a congregation. Not us. The book of Acts is the history of the early church, not a mandate for church structure throughout the ages. Acts is descriptive in that it describes the early church, but it's not always prescriptive in that it is not always stating how things are supposed to be under apostles. It was clear. They didn't have to. They had apostles that had already been through the class. They knew what Jesus was doing, and they knew Jesus was not just building a, a, a congregation. We brought it down to church, ecclesia, something else. Ecclesia is something else. That was a whole other political governmental body that, that was that interface between politics and the citizens. The books are now here's where it gets interesting, guys. Lean in. I'm coming to the end, so you don't want me to miss this. The books of First Timothy and Titus give specific outlines for church government. The Lord was very clear in this word about how he wishes his church on earth to be organized and managed with Christ as the head of the church and his supreme authority. Under apostle. Now watch where it gets cute. Ready? Ephesians 1.22, 4.15, Colossians 1.18, and governed by spiritual leadership consisting of two main officers, elders and deacons. Did you ever imagine that people would so violate scriptures? I didn't. I wasn't prepared for people in seats of authority to write that as if, as if folks, Ephesians 4.11. Now, you're in Ephesians, but you just skip over 11 and jump on down to 15. All right? You're in Colossians, but you're going to just ignore 1 Corinthians 12, 28, where God had set these in the church, first apostles. There is nothing in Scripture that says first deacons or first elders. It is unscriptural, and so even their refute of the organic church is flawed because they themselves are on a flawed foundation. Not really divine order without apostles and prophets. It's not. There is no divine order. That's why the church became introspective, introverted. It turned in on itself because all of its authority was within itself. So there was no outside force to act on it. All of the forces were inside. Anybody hearing me? Are you all hearing me? It gets better. When, when simple churches decry the establishment of leadership within the church, they reject God's plan for the local church rather than affirming it as they claim. God plan was for the global church of Jesus Christ, the global body of Christ that was going to be under a, a high government, at which point we would have a lesser government over the various individual regions and from the regions to the neighborhoods to the churches. So I don't understand how this all came to be, but I can see why people decided we need to get up out of this. Okay, plan on a flawed foundation. A few other things seem to be overlooked within this movement as a whole. Limiting the churches to a few families or a small number of people is not mandated in Bible, and that is not us. In addition, some critics are concerned about doctrinal purity and accountability in the simple church movement, not our issue. The Holy Spirit is ultimately the one responsible for it. Hold on, hold on, our girl. She's there responsible for ensuring the purity within the worldwide church body, but God has given us a model for local churches under the leadership of godly elders and deacons. I'm telling you, that's the problem. Everybody want to know where the church got off, where the problem is? Right there. God never put elders and deacons over the body of Christ. You can run your local house, but that doesn't, but you cannot, you cannot, no one, no one, hallelujah, we're going to have him, and she's going to say goodbye in a minute, y'all. No one can run this, the kingdom of God without this. The church comes under the kingdom, and the kingdom is governed by God's apostles and prophets. The kingship of Jesus Christ, Jesus moves his sovereignty through God's apostles and prophets. I got one more, and I just wanted to give you this one. Oh, yeah, that's where we are. Okay, I think we're done. We made it. Ha, we made it. I, so we're going to pick up here next week. And we're going to go through some more issues about organic Christianity. But remember, Dr. Price is aware that God has been trying to do this for a while. He's been working on it and working on it and working on it. 
for a while, and he's been trying to get it out, and we stopped it. And we have held him up in a hundred different ways. Hallelujah. Okay, we're going to end her. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.